Welcome to Forming the Spirit Within, a teaching ministry of Pastor Brad Riley. Pastor Brad is an associate and teaching pastor at First Church of the Nazarene here in Wichita, Kansas. He is the founder and director of the Merciful Servants of Christ, as well as the author of numerous articles. And now, here's Pastor Brad. Thank you for being here. It's good to have you here this morning. We're in John chapter 17 in our fourth lesson on the high priestly prayer of Jesus. We divided this prayer in John chapter 17 into five sections, five parts, if you will, of the prayer. The beginning, the, 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 the humble glory that Jesus shows, his prayer for safety, uh, his prayer for unity uh, in the face of opposition. And today we're going to talk about his prayer for sanctification. Amen. So we have, uh, we're going to look, starting I think at about verse 14 this morning. And I did get last week's up on the podcast, so it's up there now. If you want to catch up and you missed last week. Uh, but let's look at verses 14 through 19. We're just going to look at five verses this morning. And then the next week we will have the final section of John chapter 17, where Jesus talks about the unity of all believers. And uh, so after John 17, it moves right into the, the passionate, uh, John's version of the passion of Christ. So we're moving and marching very quickly towards the cross now. But as we begin this morning, if you have your prayer cards, let's pull them out and let's just ask for God's illumination of our hearts as we pray before our study. You have your cards? Let's pray. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and may be transformed to live both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you. It is it is uh, it's always uplifting to... To pray that prayer. I just love that prayer. I prayed that one this morning. I had a card in my car. Good. Advisor, and I prayed it before we left for our doctor's appointments. Good. Well, I'll put a little plug in for our uh, Wednesday night class over this summer. If you all want to have something to do on Wednesday nights, come in to this room. There is a class that we began last week called The Spirit-Filled Life. And it's a look at what it means, what, what does the scripture have to say, particularly the book of Acts, and looking at the lives of the apostles and the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and how they were transformed. So we're just taking that apart, and a week by week, uh, and we don't come next week because next week's actually VBS, which is now called Kids Summer Jam, But uh, so we're all helping with that. But then the following week, so week after next, we'll be back for part three. Those are also on the... Uh, what time? Those 6.30, just 6.30 to 7.30. Those, those classes are also on the podcast. So the podcast, as I teach a different class or give a message somewhere or thoughts, they're all on there. So you can look for them. They're just intermixed by date. They, they tend to fall by date, not by group. So in the middle of all those Gospel of John lessons, boom, there's a prayer class or whatever. Last night's the, the Holy Spirit class. So as we look at this passage, let's read together just verses 14 through 19 and hear part of Jesus' prayer. I have given them thy word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not pray that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be consecrated in truth. Let's stop there. This passage is 
very important to us because we hear something from Jesus about this thought of him sanctifying himself in the process of praying for God to sanctify his followers. Kind of fits a, fits well with our class on, whole, on the Holy Spirit, on the Spirit-filled life, because that is the life of sanctification. And that's a big word that we don't always understand, that we don't spend enough time talking about. But as we're going to bring that out to this morning as a big theme in this passage of Scripture. But think about it this. Jesus is asking them to be sanctified by the Father because they're in a world that hates them. They're in a world that hates them. Now, if you notice, uh, I think about five times we kept hearing a phrase over and over. What was it? What did you hear over and over as we just read those five verses? It's a particular well, it was about the world being in the world and, and he's not in the world. As Out of the world, <laughs> of the world, not of the world. Over and over, Jesus makes a big point in this scripture that, hey, I'm not of the world. They're not of the world. I pray that you keep them, though, in the world. Let's explore that just a little bit. Uh, because I, I do believe... That that's that's important for us. I think we have trouble sometimes separating our lives in the kingdom of Christ from our lives in the world. Because clearly we're in the world. We live right here. I mean, we're we're we can't escape the world. We have to be citizens of the world. We are. Uh, so in in a sense, we have kind of a dual citizenship, and we have to figure out how that works and where our loyalties lie. And Jesus begins this passage by giving us something. He says, "I've given them." What? Your word. I've given them your word, O oh God. I've given them your word. And the word for word in the Greek is, we look it up and we know it is, in this case, what? Logos, the most common word that G John uses when he's talking about Jesus. So in a sense, think of it this way. Jesus is saying, I've given them thy logos. What has he given us? Well, it's, it's everything he is. Uh, Every, that's a good way to say it. Everything he is. Okay? Not just the... Sometimes when we hear the word in our English translations, I always caution you, when you're reading the New Testament and you hear the word, we oftentimes, as evangelical Christians in the 21st century, we just go straight to the Bible. Oh, it's the Bible. It's the Bible. No, no, no. It's Jesus. The word is Jesus. Okay? The scriptures are the Bible. Okay, but the word is Jesus. That's why there's a different there's a different Greek word that you use for writings, holy writings, holy scriptures. Okay, that's a word called graphene in the Greek. Graphene, where we get the word graffiti, writings. Jesus, it, John introduced us to this Greek thought of the word, the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. He's the mind of God. The Word made flesh, as he introduced this whole the gospel. The living with. Word of God to me. Living Word yeah. of God, that's right. The living, <laughs> he's God made flesh. And so every word that God would ever have to say to us, that every word that God would ever want to speak to his creation, is entailed and encompassed within the life of Jesus Christ. Amen. The life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And that is what... Jesus is saying right here in his prayer, Father, I have given them thy word. I've, in other words, I've given them myself. I've given them all that I am, and I've given them all that you have given me. And remember, over and over, John has made a point that Jesus has taught, I have, I and the Father are one. Everything that's in me is in the Father. Everything in the Father is in me. So this Trinitarian concept of oneness is so important for us to constantly remember. When Jesus says, I've given them thy word, he's given us God. He's given us all of God. Okay? So, so much so that what we want, when we come to know Jesus Christ, who he really is, we know God. Right. To know Jesus is to know God. Okay? He is, as remember what, I think we maybe read it last week, I can't remember, the book of Hebrews chapter 1. He is the exact representation of the nature of God. When the Hebrew writer is describing Jesus Christ, he is the radiance 
I believe it says he's the radiance of his glory, and he's the exact representation. So what can we understand about God? All throughout time, up until Jesus' day, God was kind of elusive. God was the spirit. He was the great spirit. He was the, the, the if you go back in the beginning, the God uh, with uh, a name that was so holy they couldn't pronounce. Uh, a God who nobody had ever seen. A God who was, you know, unknown in that respect. Because in the world, everyone had a God, right? That's one of the most interesting things about the ancient world. You know, there were no such things as atheists in the ancient world. No atheists. Everybody had a God. Some kind of God. It was a rock or a tree or a stone or whatever. Everybody had a God. Sometimes it was the sun or the moon or whatever. But that, that today, this whole atheist thing is, is a very, well, in the scheme of how old the world is, a fairly modern phenomenon. And, uh, but then, everybody got, and what was so confusing to the world about the Jewish people was that their God couldn't be seen. Their God, you know, was the God, the one with the name that they wouldn't even pronounce. He was so holy. He was the true God of the heavens. And so Paul, we remember when he was in, I think, in Athens, when he was preaching on Mars Hill, he, he noticed that they had a, the Apostle Paul noticed that they had a uh, uh, this consecration to, like, a, not a tomb, but I uh, can't think of what it is, but a, a structure consecrated to the unknown God. And Paul said, you know that unknown God you've always wondered about? That's my God. Let me introduce you to him. Amen. And his name is Jesus Christ. How, how incredible is that? So, in the fullness of time, God made his fullest manifestation possible to humanity so that they could know him. Begins with just speaking to people like Abraham. He, he then moves to actually presenting himself through a burning bush to... Moses, progressively over time, he then leads them to build a temple. They see this cloud of smoke. They see this pillar of fire. Over time, God is revealing himself more and more to humanity, to his people. And then in the fullness of time comes Jesus. The great miracle that we call the incarnation. Okay, God made flesh among us. And in that incarnation... Now people could see God. Wow! What a thought. We can't see God the Father, okay? But we can see God, the Son, Jesus Christ. Because not only was he made human, he will forever be in human form. Divine human form. Glorified human form. Because we know after the cross, after he is raised from the dead, he ascends into glory, where he is today, sitting at the right hand of the Father, waiting his next coming into the world. But he is uh, forever this glorified, divine human mix. That's a, that's a powerful thought. So when he says, I've given them thy word, he's given us a lot. He's given us an open door to God himself. And he says, the world has hated them. Why did the world hate these disciples? Why? I mean, I think Peter, James, and John seem like pretty nice guys. Because they, they didn't understand. Because they didn't, they didn't go along with other people's belief. They stayed firm in the right and true one belief. That's right. Jesus came and the, the gospel Jesus began to preach was antithetical to the world, the way the world thinks. And that's what we're going to hear in this prayer here. Jesus said they hated them because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. So I want to take a little time to explore what does it mean to be not of the world? And, and in what sense, in what sense can we be said to be not of the world? Because we don't do the things of the world. Yeah, we're not supposed to be out of the world. We're supposed to be in the world. How, how can we be in the world and rub shoulders with the world and not be don't do of the, the world? How can we do it? Okay. Okay. I have one. Go ahead. Living with the Holy Spirit in us. Yeah. Keep us from not doing what the world does, but doing what Christ 
Yeah, that's why he's spending so much time on this subject. He's preparing them for the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's about to talk about sanctifying them and all this. He's preparing them because the truth is, there is no way you and I cannot be of this world without the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay, Without the gift of the Holy Spirit, you can't do it. I can't do it. None of us can do it. And, and, and it can be rather difficult. I mean, we don't want to be so different that nobody in the world can relate to us. We don't want to come across as, well, they just think they're better than everybody. They're just so holy and so high and mighty. that We're not going to reach anybody for Christ with the gospel that way, are we? We, we, have to find, we have to find this ability to be relatable, you know. Jesus figured that. Jesus did that. We, lead, we need look no further than the life of Jesus Christ. He, he said he was not of the world, but yet he was right there eating dinner with tax sinners. collectors, and prostitutes, and people that were considered outcasts and sinners. Jesus, so... It's, it's almost a sad thing that in this modern world we've become so separated from the world around us. And then we wonder why the world around us doesn't want to come to church. There's got to be a better way. There has to be a middle ground. There has to be a way to appeal to the world without being the world. Or worldly, if you will. Yeah. Could that be through the joy and peace of the saints of the Holy Spirit and the words that we have in our lives to share with others, to relate to them, be, be in a relation to today's modern problems, today's the separate individual problems, and then those that are incorporated with what, what the world puts on us. Say, well, I can go say that I've been healed of cancer twice and went mm-hmm. through the church. Mm-hmm. As I say, say, I've been healed of my addictions. Mm-hmm. I've been healed of my prior life. And now that I have is joy, but not only that, but the stewardship of my church. Absolutely. This helps love as undivided love for everyone. That's mm. one main thing that the whole world seeks. Everybody in it is to be loved and be accepted. Yeah. So if we show them those two things and be able to show, well, uh, they ask, you know, how can you do this? Well, I'll say, well, if you could divide the seas, divide the seas and have them walk across on dry ground and save them and take them out of their captivity of being a slave, slave to drugs, mm-hmm. slave to being bills, slave to live day to day, mm-hmm. he could give you that same freedom. That's right. It's a great testimony there, Mark. Uh, thanks for sharing it because the truth is we have to be seen. As people that have been healed, people that have been, uh, people that have been with God and transformed and changed, but yet at the same time, real and relatable. And that doesn't happen unless we truly have love, love for each other, love for our fellow man. Why did it work? Why was Jesus able to tell? A lady who was a prostitute and had, you know, demons and, and all kinds of issues. Why why was he able to tell them to, to be healed? And why was he able to have them follow him? Because they wanted, because they knew he loved them. He okay? loved them even when he we loved were unlovable. Them. He wasn't just, that's right. Even when they were unlovable, even when they were prostitutes and, and addicts and things like that, he loved them for who they were. Yes. Because his law says, love one another as I love thyself. Absolutely. And, and, and we're quick to quote that. You see, we're quick to quote that. But the longer I live, the more I live, the more I realize, do I really do it? Do I really? Because I think all the world is waiting for is Christians and Christian churches to get on fire with love for the world that's not Amen. saved yet. The world that's not living according to the gospel. The world that doesn't know Christ. And when we do that, it's unconquerable. It's absolutely unconquerable. There's a little bit of, a, of, of, a, of an overflow here into our Wednesday night spirit-filled life class. Because what we're going to attempt to learn in that class is how do we live it? What does it really look like? Day to day. 
what does it really look like? Um, because I'm, what I fear is that we have a fairly good idea of what it looks like theologically and not nearly as good of an idea of what it looks like practically. Uh, it's one thing to know something theologically and to say, okay, I believe that. It's a whole other thing to know how to live it and to actually live it. And that is the essence of Christianity. Jesus Christ did not come to the world to bring a new religion. He didn't come to the world to start a new religion. Christianity is not a new religion amongst all the world's religions. Christianity is a way of living the divine life of God that he desires for every human being to live. And every human being is invited. That's a beautiful thought. So, but we need to know when we accept the invitation into that life, the divine life of God, when we wade out into those waters, the world's not going to like us. <laughs> There's a place in the gospel, I don't have it memorized, the chapter and verse where it says, well, be un-, I quote it a lot when somebody says something that they, they don't like what I do. I, I think I say, well, we'll be, Jesus said, well, be unto you when all men think well of you. <laughs> You're not going to please everybody, <laughs> you know. Uh, so uh, if everybody loves me and everybody thinks I'm doing great, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. And and that's that runs counter to the way we think sometimes. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I quote Isaiah <laughs> chapter 40, verses 27 through 31. Is that they shall fall and go faint. power of the Spirit gives them strength to run. That's exactly right. So let me introduce you to a thought here with a, a new Greek word and a thought. In verse 15, Jesus says what he's praying for. I'm not praying. He says, I'm, states it first in the negative. I'm not praying. I do not pray that you take them out of the world. See, becoming a follower of Christ and becoming a, living a Spirit-filled life is not about escaping the world. And he's making that very clear. I'm not praying, Father, for you to take these followers out of the world. But I am praying for you to keep them in the world. Now let's explore that thought and that word keep for a minute. If I say, um, if I say to uh, Mark here, uh, I say, Mark, here's my Here's my keys. Would you just keep those for me? I can't sure. stand those things rattling in my pocket. Just keep them for me. Okay? Mark's going to hold on to them until I ask for them back. Right? Good guy. He's just going to keep... But is there anything... Is there anything... Yeah. <laughs> Trust me, it's not. He knows. <laughs> but but if is there anything... Is there anything particularly sacred about what he's doing? Is there anything, you know, that's that's particularly... Uh, I mean, I didn't say... Now, Mark, if I just... Now, if I said... If I said, just keep my keys. Okay, hold on to them. But if I said, now, Mark, guard those keys with your life. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, how does that change our... Con- what, does it change it what Mark's duty is? Completely, yeah. Okay, yeah. it changes what Mark feels about his duty? Okay. That's kind of what Christ is doing here, okay? So we need to be careful when we read the word keep. And I'll, I'll bet take back. You don't want this, trust me. But if I you take this car and use it, to, to, and use the, the foundation that God in your life, and drive, drive was to help you drive safely through life. Okay, so here's the word. The Greek word is tereo, tereo, okay? And this word, it does not mean just to keep. Man, don't, don't just keep these. Don't hold them for me a while. It doesn't mean just hold on to it. It means to guard. Okay, to guard or to watch over. Okay, with, with a kind of a commission. You're, he's, he's asking the Father, I'm asking you, Father, guard them, keep them safe, watch over them while they are in this world. And in that sense, we need that. We cannot live in this world without that. Sure. 
the, the world's a hard place to live. It's a sinful, fallen place with much evil. Now, in the dichotomy of thought here is that it's also a beautiful place, and it's a place filled with much love and much beauty. And you know, this this battle. We still live in a world that has a battle. Now we know that the we know that Christ is the victor, that He has trampled down death by death. But that doesn't mean that we won't get trampled in this world. There's see, there's just no there's no magic here. That oh wow, man, because I'm a Christ, nothing can touch me. Well, you know what? The greatest followers of Christ in the history of the church have been gathered up by the authorities and thrown into lion's dens and cut in half and terrorized and beaten. And I mean, there's no, there's no wonderful magic free guarding over us physically just because Jesus prayed this prayer. So we have to think about that. You know, what does it mean to be a Christian? I, we, sometimes I worry that Christianity in America has gotten so soft because of our 200 plus years of freedom. And I don't want it to go away. Trust me, I, I don't. I'm, I'm not looking for trouble, but I'm just saying we get soft, don't we? Generation after generation doesn't know what it means to really struggle for their freedom and to struggle for their... I really do. Well, I, I just pray that Jesus comes and returns and nothing has to... <laughs> before it all gets too Take, worse. Takes us home. But right now, right now we're here and we're, we're to carry on because he says, Father, watch over them, guard them. And he says specifically, not just... Not just from the world, but look at what he says in the end of verse 15. Keep them from the evil one. Yeah. Yours might say something different. It might say Satan or whatever. What is the from evil? What does yours say? Something from evil. The evil one. From the evil one. Yeah. Okay. And this is best. The best. Uh, the best. Uh, what I'm talking. The best uh, translation here is the evil one, not just evil. Mm-hmm. Okay. There is this understanding that all evil is directed by one, you know, the evil one. Exactly. Satan. So, verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. He's just stating a fact. I'm here, but I'm not of it. I'm in it, but I'm not of it. In other words, I'm not made out of the same fabric of it. I don't, Jesus is saying, I live a human life in this world for their sake, but I do not have the same thought patterns and the same values and the same morals and mores of things that, that, because Jesus' patterns are divine. And so we're not to have the same social mores and norms and things that the world around us has. We're to have the social norms and mores, and those are kind of, I like to throw big words out every now and then. I remember those from a sociology class I took. (laughs) Norms and mores. Don't ask me to explain it. I just know they're there. That's what we're to have. That's the warp and woof of who we should be. You know what the warp and woof is, right? Yeah, those of you that weave fabric, you know, or you know, the fabric goes both ways, mm-hmm. up and down, sideways. That's the warp and the woof. Mm-hmm. Can't remember which is the warp and which is the woof, but that years ago I knew the answer to that when I was in the clothing business. That that's the very fabric of our lives is not the worldly fabric. It's the divine fabric of God that He wants to impart to us and share with us and empower us to live this life. So, yes. The new RSV says protect them. Is it still using the word to real? Um, yes. You, the protect could be a good synonym, I think, for this. To watch over. That's a good That's a good word. Protect is a good word. If you're guarding something, you're protecting it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's just, it's a lot better than this word keep. That the RSV, the old RSV uses keep. It doesn't quite. So whenever you have these translations, you kind of see sometimes... Sometimes the translations are better. Sometimes they're not quite as good. Um, but that's a good one. Protect is good. Um, as long as we understand that it means protect from a spiritual standpoint, exactly. not a physical protection. Because those saints who have been martyred were not physically protected. I mean, sometimes they're divinely delivered. You know, they walk through, walk through fire and water and all kinds of things. But... It's just no guarantee. Living the Christian life is no guarantee that nothing bad will ever happen to us. Just like Paul said, in the absence of the body, I'm in the presence of the Lord. So really, that's the greatest protection that there is. When the assurance of eternal life. Absolutely. Like James James 1, chapter 
go through your your uh, go through your 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 troubles with joy, knowing that they will be taken care of. Jesus mm-hmm. Christ. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. That's a good word. So now he transitions in verse seventeen and tells his prayer turns to the topic of the day. Father, sanctify them. Sanctify them in thy truth. Let's let's think and think for a little bit together. What does it mean to sanctify? Now the Greek word here is from last week we, we looked at a word hagia or hagios or hagiasmos, and that meant to be holy or to be righteous. Okay. And the concept, you hear the word, the word here used in this, this section of John is hagiazo. Hagiazo. The, the root here at the beginning, hagia. Okay? Have you ever heard of in, in uh, the church of Hagia Sophia? It's one of the great wonders, considered one of the great wonders of the world. Anybody ever heard of that? The church of Hagia Sophia? Never? It's in, it was in the ancient city of, you heard of it? It's in the ancient city of Constantinople, which is today Istanbul. The church of Hagia Sophia is uh, was built in the early 300s, one of the first great Christian uh, cathedrals ever built outside of uh, as the Roman Empire moved east, I mean to east to become the Byzantine Empire. Um, it was commissioned to build the church, and that was going to be Constantinople was the city named for the Emperor Constantine. That was going to be the heart and center of Christianity. It became what was called New Rome by the theologians of its day. There was old Rome, which was Rome, you know, where the bishop of Rome was, but new Rome was going to be the new, and it became the seat of the empire for the next, you know, thousand years. And in there was the church of Hagia Sophia. And it is today still standing. I sure, I've never been to Constantinople, or Istanbul as it really is today. I've never been there, but go Google it sometime. It's a, it's amazing. Yeah, it's you Google it. See, that's I forget. People in classes can look it up on your phone right there. How do you spell it? Yeah. Okay. Here's the beginning. Hagia. H a g i a. And then it's two words. The other word is Sophia. Okay. Like the lady's name. Sophia in Greek means wisdom. So it's the Church of Holy Wisdom. That is what it is. It's an amazing structure. Now today it's a it's a mosque because in the when Constantinople fell to the Muslim invaders in the 15th century, it was overtaken and it was turned into a mosque and it never been never been Christian again. But it is a place that you can tour if you're there, I think, a lot. I've heard from people that have, and I'd sure love to go to it. It was desecrated, of course. Many of the Christian things that were in it were, were taken away. But uh, boy, I'd sure love to see it still. The structure is amazing. And all the things, the history, wow, that went on there, it's so amazing. For a thousand years, that was the church, leading church of the world. And so he says, sanctify them. This word means holy. Hagia means holy, as we just discussed. And so hagiazon, to make them holy. So to sanctify something, we see that to make it holy is to sanctify it. Okay? In this case, we're talking about people. Okay? Anything can be sanctified, truly, uh, means to make it holy. Well, how do we make something holy? Literally, we determine that it will be set apart for a sacred or holy use. So, church buildings. Church buildings were built. And and I I know this, I'm going to wade out into it here. (laughs) There's a school of thought, you know, from ancient days, the church buildings were sacred ground, okay, sacred ground. And today, most churches that are built aren't built to look sacred. They're built to look like an auditorium or something like that. And they're multi-purpose, and they use lots of things in them. And I know the heart is good that wants to just be relatable and everything, but I fear that we're losing in our culture a message if nothing ever is sacred. You see? I'm old school, and it still bothers me to see some of the things that goes <laughs> on in our sanctuary. Well, and I'm, okay, <laughs> and I know that. Okay, I know that. But and I'm trying to walk a thin line here. Yeah. That's why I said it I'm going to wade out into it. Line. It's got to be. 
if we still have holy intention and holy purposes, okay, because where does it stop? We can make it so holy that you can't even no, sit down I, I and abuse. Okay, so yeah. where does it? You know, you can do. You can go one way too far. You can become legalist about everything. All I'm saying is, don't be afraid of sacred space and sacred things. We need them. They are visible reminders of God in our world, okay? Um, whether that's the church building, whether that's a Sunday school room, that whether that's a, in your home, a prayer corner in your home. I mean, I Jesus talks about having a prayer closet, you know? Uh, that's sacred space. Uh, I, I encourage you, build sacred space around your life. Have a place, you know? It's important. Why? It, all through the Old Testament, the, the, uh, the, the great patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, these guys, what do you read that they did? Everywhere they went, when they, when they had this miraculous or incredible encounter with God, God did something for them, delivered them. What did they do? They, yeah, they prayed and they went to a holy place to do it. They did something physical. What did yep. they do to create sacred space? What? They built an altar out of stone. They, it says they raised up a stone. And what that means is that they usually built like a, a stack of stones. That was to be a marker of a holy place. And then they gave it a name. In my daily devotions, I'm reading through the book. I just finished the book of Genesis. I've started over again in another version. And, and I just love how that started to come alive, you know. And, and Jacob named this the the such and such, and he named that the such and such because these were sacred places. And as they traveled around, they'd come back and they were reminded, oh yeah, this is that. This is where God did this for me. Okay, So be afraid of sacred space. It's important to have sacred space. Okay, And I think that's how you make something holy. And so how do, how do, we, how do we get sanctified? That's what Jesus is saying. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. Okay, the word here is still logos. It's not switched over to graphene or anything. It's still logos. Jesus is the truth. Remember, he said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. So somehow the life of Jesus, which is the truth of God, made flesh, is to sanctify us. We are to be sanctified in the life of Jesus. So let me rephrase it. We're to be made holy in the life of Jesus. We're to become and made into sacred space in the truth or which is the life of Jesus. You and I, our bodies, our physical bodies are to become sanctified Amen. in the truth which is the person of Jesus Christ, the second person of the Holy Trinity, God Most High. Okay? You with me? Mm -hmm. yep. That's why as a church, we emphasize a doctrine called sanctification. And that's why, you, and you'll, if you, I can't go into a lot of it right here in this because this is a Bible study of the Gospel of John, but that's, we'll get into it a lot deeper in coming weeks in that uh, the Spirit-Filled Life class. Because the process of being Spirit-filled is what we're talking about here. When John is praying, John is recording, Jesus is praying, Father, sanctify them in the truth. He's describing a prayer that will be lived out in the life of his followers as God continually sanctifies them as they work through this world and this worldly life. But it has to begin, everything has to begin somewhere. Right? Everything has to begin somewhere. So when do we begin to be Sanctified. Deep theological question. When do we begin to be sanctified? You, you look like you have a thought. How does sanctify different from consecrate? Okay, good question. I, I believe there's synonyms. I really do. I believe there's synonyms. This word could easily be translated consecrate. Okay, to make it the act of making something holy. Now, this we're gonna we're gonna see we're gonna see a, a great parallel here. I'm going to wade a little deeper. In verse 19, what does Jesus say? He says, for their sake, meaning their, meaning them, his disciples and now us, our followers, 
because he meant he was praying for everyone that would ever believe in him. We're going to learn that next week. Uh, but in 19, he says, for their sake, I consecrate myself. Jesus didn't need to consecrate himself. He's God. There's nothing in him that is less than perfect. You with me? He didn't need to consecrate himself. But for our sake, he did. So let's think about what did it look like for Jesus to consecrate himself. Um, The word here, consecrate myself, okay? Therefore, I consecrate myself, is to make holy. It's the same word, okay? What is, what, how did Jesus consecrate himself? By offering himself up as a sacrifice to God. Now, he prepared him. If we're going to, ultimately, if we're going to make something holy, we're sacrificing it. Okay, if I'm going to, if I'm going to say that, if I'm going to truly consecrate something, I'm going to set it apart. Okay, then I'm just trying to find a good example because I, I always hate the example of a pen, pencil. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm going to, okay, all right, this Bible right here. I'm going to sanctify this. I want to sanctify this Bible. I want to consecrate this Bible for holy use. Okay. That means what? It means I'm, I'm sacrificing it as a book, that I'm not just going to use it like any other book. I'm not going to just throw it in a heap. I'm not going to go junk it and stick stuff on top of it. I'm not going to go... It's just not any book. It's now become to me, for my God, a holy book for me to encounter him and interact with him. Okay? So, just giving you a, a subtle example. Now, turn that example to your life. Turn that example to your life. What are we willing to do to sacrifice ourselves so that we are dedicated unto God, consecrated unto God, made holy unto God, so that he in return gives himself his Holy Spirit to fill us and to live within us and to empower us. We have to sacrifice ourselves. I cannot live two lives. I cannot walk in the house of God and the house of the world or the devil at the same time. That's right. Scripture teaches us in many different ways. Jesus says, if you're not for me, you're against me. Uh, he also says, you cannot serve two masters. We, if we're going to sacrifice ourselves and consecrate ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and His service and His kingdom and His life, then we have given our, we've died to the world. That's right. Okay? We can't have it both ways. I've got to be light in the world. We're still in it by His grace and power to be a light, but we cannot live the same. So, so the patterns of our life have to change, don't they? The patterns have to change. This, the sins that maybe we committed before, we need to try and give up now because we're not supposed to be that way. You know, there's just there's a whole different ways that I can take this, okay? But you see where I'm going. Where I'm going with this is that Jesus didn't just die on the cross to redeem us so that we wouldn't go to hell. He died on the cross to save us to a holy life so that we could be empowered for love and service and beauty and to have restore fellowship with God. Amen. See? Now that's a, so that's a that's a very positive way of looking at redemption. Not a negative way. Well, last week in the holiness in the holy I call it holiness class, the spirit filled class. Last week we began with a question question was asked of an old preacher. I was an Nazarene preacher of J.G. Morrison from 100 years ago or whatever. The man asked him, he said, Preacher, what must I, what, how much religion do I need to make it to heaven? How much religion do I need to make it to heaven? And we took, we took it apart and said, now what is the guy really asking? What, I, what do I do to make it to heaven? That's what's what the minimum? What's the minimum requirement? Exactly. I'm, I must believe there's something I'm trying to shun like hell, and I just I just need to get in. If I can just get in, I'm okay. Yeah. 
you know. I don't want to be head of the class, but I just want to get in. Okay. I'm not asking to be a saint. I just want to get in. What do I do? So J.G. thought about it. He thought about it for a while. And finally, the answer that he gave was just enough to be comfortable in the presence of Jesus. Yeah. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that is good, isn't good it? Answer. I thought to myself, I wonder what I would have said. I don't think I would have said that. That's the, he's a lot smarter than me. Just enough. So what is enough to be comfortable in the presence of Jesus? Because Jesus is God, and he is holy, and he is pure, and he is... When when I see him someday face to face, I'm going to fall down and say, woe is me. Well, the truth is I should be falling down now and saying, woe is me, and trying to work on that. Okay? So that when I do get closer to him, when I do meet him face to face, it won't be such a drastic... Thing. But even no matter how good and holy we get in this world, it's still going to be in a minute, you know. Oh, wow, you know. But I've had some Christians tell me that they have asked uh, for sanctification and, and the Holy Spirit coming into their lives, and then they think, you know, I'm holy forever now. That's the, well, that's the same mistake. That's the same theological mistake, I believe, as those that think, well, I made a decision for Christ, and I'm saved, and so I'm good. I'm good to go. It's not, it's not, just like it's not once saved, always saved. It's not once sanctified, always sanctified. Paul says, I die daily. That's right. The Apostle Paul said, I die. We have to die every day. I try to do that every day. Why is so? Right. So to sanctify someone, let's come back to this whole truth. Jesus said, I sanctify myself for their sake. That's right. We are to sanctify ourselves for his sake. Exactly. Okay. And to sanctify ourselves means to be willing to. To sacrifice ourselves. We must die to ourself and become alive to him. There is a time when that decision must be made somehow, in some way, shape, or form. I'm not here to preach to you that it has to happen in one mode or one manner at one time. I'm not going to say that. Because we're all different and we're all walking a different pathway. And the light shed on our pathway is different. For some and for, for much of historical Christianity, for thousands of years now, for a couple thousand years, Christian faith always understood sanctification in pretty much in, always as two processes. The earliest Christians began to see it, it begins initially when they're baptized, because baptism was the entrance into the new covenant, and that was the receiving of the acknowledging and receiving of the redemptive grace of God, and no one can say, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, no one can say Jesus is Lord unless the Holy Spirit empowers him to do it. Okay, So to be saved, to whether, that, whether that's a decision made by a parent to bring a baby into the faith through baptism, or whether that's an adult that's doing it on their own, the point is that's a decision to come into the covenant, to be saved in that sense, And the churches historically always saw that in baptism. But then on top of baptism, there was always a second work of grace. And that work of grace was considered the act of consecration. Okay, And the earliest Christians knew that as a form of the laying on of hands and the anointing with oil. And in the ancient church, it was called chrismation. Chrism is oil. Okay. First demonstration of that is the blood of the post to protect the firstborn. No, not really, but we'll come back to that. That's that's a first vision of Jesus' blood shed on the cross. But but the idea we see as Paul works through and the other Peter, all of them in the book of Acts, when they come to they even come to Christians that are believers and they say, Have you received the gift of the Holy Spirit? And some of them say, We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. But they're already Christians. They believe in Jesus, you see. And he says, well, then what were you baptized into? And they would say, well, we were baptized in John's baptism. You know, we heard that Jesus was Messiah had come, and we were baptized by some disciples of John, and, and that meant we were dunked in the water and baptized for our repentance. But he, so what he did, this is, you can read about this in Acts chapter 8, I think. Um, he, he took them and he said, well, what we got to do with you guys is we got to baptize you again in the name of Jesus. <laughs> we need to be in Jesus' baptism, which is filled by the Holy Spirit. And then it says he even laid hands on them and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. So and we know from the earliest writings of, of the followers, they constantly used oil for anointing. 
Now, I give you all of that history to say that doesn't look exactly like what we preach in our church today. I don't know why. It's changed over 2,000 years. We're only 100 years old. But my point is with the process of the two separate works of grace is still what we preach. We preach that salvation is one grace, but sanctification is another grace. Salvation is, is a form of sanctification. It's initial sanctification, if you will. But there is a greater work that we would call entire sanctification. That's where you really sacrifice. That's where you're going to devote yourself. The first one's initial work of God, initial work of the Holy Spirit. But we must come to a place where we're invited, and we as churches need to be inviting people to make that decision, to make the decision to sanctify ourselves to God, consecrate ourselves to God, separate us apart unto holy use. That's what it means. And now, when we don't live out that testimony, when the Christian people, people who name the name of Jesus Christ, don't live out the testimony of holiness, but live just like the world does, the world looks at that and says, what do I need Jesus for? Not done much for you. You're not changed. You see the difference. These men, these men that Jesus is praying for this night, they're about to, they're going to watch him die. They're going to watch him be born again. They're going to, I mean, be raised again. And they're going to watch him ascend into heaven. And they're going to obey him. And they're going to meet together. And they're going to pray, oh, God, send us that gift Jesus was talking about. And then they're going to have the fire fall. And the Holy Spirit's going to fall. And they're going to be empowered. And they're going to be transformed. And they'll never be the same again. And the world took off from there. The church just took off like wildfire over the next few days, weeks, months, years until the whole world was converted. The empire was converted. The empire was converted. The Roman emperor within, within less than 300 years of Jesus' birth, the Roman emperor was converted to Christianity. Wow. And, and, and we look at our world today and we think everything's lost. There's hope for our world. Okay? And the hope is right here in this room. The hope is in Christian people living sanctified, holy lives committed unto God that are transformed for his holiness. And I'm as guilty as you in having not done it good enough. Okay? I tell you this morning, it's a desire of my heart, but I'm just not perfect yet. I keep trying. But we can have perfect hearts even though our actions aren't perfect. Okay? And I've got good news for you. The more you try, the more you learn, even your actions become more and more perfect. Okay? It's just a long road. It's a long road. And and this world is not a friendly place. But we have Jesus Christ praying for us. Father, guard them, protect them, watch over them. He's doing that now. He's doing it right now. From the right hand of the Father. Now, one more point we need to make before we close in this section. Because it brings this whole section full circle. Why do we even get consecrated? It's a beautiful thing. Feels good. It makes us pure and holy. It's beautiful in and of itself, but that's not the end. Okay? That's right. Why do we build a big church and a beautiful cathedral and make it? Why is the Hagia Sophia built? Just to the glory of God. Yes, but not to the end all be all. It was built to be used. Okay? It was built to be used. And Jesus says... As thou didst send me into the world, so I send them into the world. They weren't just being prayed for to be sanctified. They were being sent, just like Jesus was sent. So let's look at that word sent. Apostello. Apostello. Okay? And this is really a hybrid word. If I could just to send something to someone is just the word stello. In the Greek, okay? S- send a letter to you, Stello, okay? But, but apostello, now it means you're sent with a purpose. That's right. Now you're sent with a commission. It refers back to the sender and our connection to the sender. And the sender is God the Father. And just as he sent Jesus into the world, Jesus says, I'm sending them into the world. You and I, as in 
as standing in the line of followers of Christ after 2,000 years, you and I are being sent into the world so that we can be Christ to this world. His ambassadors, his emissaries, his apostles, that's the truth of it. We're, that's us. That's what we're supposed to be. So let's don't miss that point. As you sent me, Father, I'm sending them. And he doesn't say, it just says, I love how it says this. It doesn't say, as you sent me into the world, Father, would you send them? Doesn't say that, does it? It says, as you sent me, I'm sending them. Jesus takes control here and says, I'm sending you guys. And he's sending us too. Okay. That's the same as the Father sending, because Jesus right. and the Father do, and the Holy Spirit all do everything in tandem. Okay? Always remember that. The beautiful mystery of the Holy Spirit is if God does it, if God the Father does it, God the Son does it, God the Holy Spirit does it. The, uh, there, I know that's deep, and I don't have time to wade out into all that. Um, so, we've covered a lot in just five verses today. This whole chapter, John 17, is... Perhaps the pinnacle of all four Gospels. You hear the life of Jesus Christ. You hear his heart. You hear his heart for us, for his disciples, and for our mission in this world. All in this one chapter. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Yes? As the next one says, my prayer is not for them alone, but pray for, for those who will believe in me our messages as we go out to to testify as we go out to share the good news as we that's going to be that's going to be next week's lesson okay the unity of all believers the next week's lesson we're going to pick up on that next verse verse 20 and we'll go from 20 then we'll finish that chapter okay we should be able to get through any questions about this whole sanctifying and consecrating thing any questions in your heart and mind I mean, I know it's deep stuff. It really is. And it's maybe even stuff you haven't heard for a while. It's, it's empowering, though. It really is. If you get it, it's empowering. But the reason why it, uh, they had sanctified the apostles of the name, altars and stones and stuff, was the verse that says, for you, what you pray for, once you do a private level, Um, you know, I, I'm not sure I follow your point there or your question, but what was your question? Um, uh, my understanding was is the part of being sanctified and having just the um, uh, sanctification in your life is like with the apostles, those were stones, their altars, and had it sanctified as a holy place, mm-hmm. right? I'm not the Bible answer man, so I can't pick that verse out. I can't <laughs> But you look for it next week and you tell me what that verse is, okay? Because I don't know which verse you're talking about just off, off the top of my head for that. But I do think what, uh, and it wasn't the apostles that were setting up stones. It was the Old Testament fathers, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But I hear your heart. So if you think of that verse and you want to make a comparison, look it up and, and bring it back to me next week. But here's what I want us to hear today in closing. This is, there's no more important work for us to do than to sanctify ourselves. Amen. Now, God is the one who makes us holy. In that sense, he sanctifies us. But we have a work to do, and that work is to yield ourselves to his sanctifying right. grace, okay? Let's, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the prayer of Jesus. Thank you for the sanctifying grace you send through your Son into this world the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Open our hearts and minds as we prayed in our opening prayer. Open our hearts and minds that we might understand your gospel teachings. And apply
apply these things to our lives. We give you now the praise uh, of, of all of our lives. We commit our, our time this day, this time, this hour, everything we've committed to you. Be with us now as we go from this place, as we give you the glory of our, of our lives, glorified up to you. And through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you, Father, and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever and unto the ages of ages. This has been Forming the Spirit Within. I'm Roger Culver, inviting you to tune in next time as Pastor Brad opens God's Word, helping us to form the Holy Spirit within us. Until then, may grace and peace be with you.